0: how can you be part of a religious community that's straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to move the seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers but they of a even know the question the church is the most vocal, political voice against immigration. the church is still don't they claim i worship with the actual do how can you the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest how is that actually it seems like so much of the, so the
1: church's church being a good anti-critical American. thinking, being a good homophobic, Christian. too narrow, judgmental, and disconnected from what is truly happening
0: in the real world. Ah, <sighs> The church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And today our very special guest is Alma Zaragoza Petty. And the doc zp or dr zp as she's known by her podcast listeners and students i'll just call you the doctor or doc so i'll just i think you can correct me whatever you're comfortable with she is committed to fighting injustices and imagining life-affirming spaces in which we can all coexist both in the classroom and outside of it she teaches about the roots of racism colonization and patriarchy and its effects on organizations and leadership She is a daughter of immigrants a first-generation high school and college graduate, earned a master's and doctorate, and has spent the last 20 years as a college advisor, professor, and researcher. That is a lot of work. Fueled by her tenacity and vision, she motivates others to be the change. Her book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice, reflects on her story and invites readers to join the legacy of brave women who have used their healing to transform society. Never shying away from her complicated upbringing in Los Angeles and Acapulco, Mexico, she repurposes her pain and challenges all to imagine a better future. And the book that I mentioned, I'll mention again at the end and probably throughout the interview, will be out on November first. I want to make sure I got that right. Yes. November November first. And is it up for pre-order before that?
1: It is. It's actually out for pre-order now, so you can. So November
0: first. And I'm. This episode will probably be out before the book comes out. So when you hear this, it's already up for pre-order. So please go and pre-order that. That is always helpful and a gift for writers. So that's that's great. And I think from this interview and from the book that it will be one that many of you will gain a lot of that will that people can connect with and gain a lot of wisdom from and be challenged by as we are all hopefully reimagining the shared future that a. Uh, that many of us believe is where this is all headed. So Doc, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for making it possible even with my last minute changes. Um, of, so grateful to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we write, you know, people, whenever I know at one point I read something you wrote where you're like, I'm still a Jesusy social justicey body we kind of, and then talked about <laughs> research, which I love. And you know, people are like, okay, these are sort of religious writers or, you know, people writing out of the Jesus tradition, people writing about justice. So these are the things that people are really interested in a lot, but there's also like the creative process in and of Mm. itself, right? Like so a lot of times people writing like that don't always think of themselves as artists, but what are we doing? You know, we are creating, we are writing, we are so much of that is imagination and just the process itself is so important. So I'm always interested in what is like the engine for this book, you know, the catalyst where things are born Mm. out of, because that's an interesting thing about teachings and sermons Mm. and songs and books is sometimes like I'll tell people, like you could be watching a movie and one line from the movie in that moment, based on the arc of the movie and the arc of your own life hits you. Mm. And that one line, you're like that's a whole song. That's a sermon. That's a teaching. Mm-hmm. That's a book. And it's not just the one thing because you're going to copy it, but it be, it's connecting. Yeah. It's tying the clouds together for you and does something. So for this yeah. book, where is the engine for this? Come yeah. from?
1: So the, I think the engine for this is number one, I mean, you know, the, the title Chingona, is a term that has been used in latina community most recently in a very positive light right and so i remember being called a chingona and always feeling like 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 not believing it not because i hadn't done amazing things but because i had a lot of deep spiritual psychic things that i still had to work out about my own identity and self-worth that i think mm-hmm. it was really hard for myself to allow myself to call myself a chingona, I was like, how outrageous, you know, (laughs) I would think to myself. Um, So I feel like there there was like a process of that with the title itself that that happened.
0: at some point in your journey, you would hear someone be like, Yeah, like, like own that I'm a chingona. You're like, oh, no.
1: <laughs> Basically, essentially, for this book. And I think that's why I named it that. And that's why I mm. I really much sort of wanted to learn what it meant to own a chingona from a different kind of place. Because I always thought that maybe chingonas had to be this like really like bold and in front of mega stages and and like super well-known internationally acclaimed people and I thought well no because my own like mother and grandmothers were chingonas like I would call them that you know and so I was like maybe that's what people are seeing when they see me as a chingona Mm. so anyway you know that's kind of just a As an aside into like, just even what went into the title, but actually the engine that I think is driving, drove everything was this idea that we can only, the world can only be as healed as we are. Mm -hmm. The more that we want to see, you know, outside of us, you know, Mm nonviolence, beauty, um, community, love, the more that we're, we have to be able to do that with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And until we can heal and until we are in a place where we are no longer held back from, you know, old patterns or thinking or behavior, the sooner we can show up like that in our world and make immediate impact in a way that's going to be long lasting, ever changing and just beautiful, you know, and I think that that's really what motivated the writing of Chingona owning your inner badass for healing and justice was this idea that Until I can see myself as a chingona, I won't see the chingoneness out there. I won't see Mm. what's already being done out there that is also, you know, super badass. And so, yeah, it was, it was both a challenge to myself and also a challenge for others to really dig deep into what those things that are, you know, that, that really stop you from becoming who you want to really you know, embody and who you want to really show up as to happen. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. That, that truth, when you connect with it, not as a, as a conceptual thing, but in an embodied out of your own heart space kind of way of we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are, Mm -hmm. you know, we see fragmentation out of our own fragmentation, right? We see hopelessness when something within us is, is having a hard time trusting there is, resurrection after death there is more life ahead so that that is a very humbling and yet when you when you accept it liberating of like this journey out there is is actually not separate from the journey in here which is so so good i'm gonna stay with that for a second i'm gonna jump ahead in some of the questions i have here since since you began right there so you write when you own your inner chingona you are confronting your pain and repurposing your experiences to heal yourself and those around you Here's my question. I think it's a really important one for people who are hearing the message, the really important message you're talking about. The energy or inner resources required for this sort of interior confronting and feeling through the trauma, through the wounds, Mm -hmm. through the pain, letting go of our illusions, right? The interior experience of that requires different resources and energy than we use for action and activism and organizing and going strong and gritting our teeth and working harder, which a lot of people know how to do. Mm -hmm. And we have a culture that shapes us to like basically value that, right? We are that how much we produce. If it's true that the inner work, right, which is connected to how we then find ourselves and situate ourselves and engage in the exterior work of our lives, If it's true that it requires something different, what, what is, why does it seem harder for people to do the interior journey? Not for everybody, but it seems like it can be like that comes later, Mm, right? We work our ass off later on. We're like, why am I working so hard? (laughs) Why, why do you think, what is required of us for the inner healing that your subtitle talks about that is more difficult than like just organizing or working?
1: Yeah, well, I think that for organizing and working, we are immediately um, rewarded for those things, right? Both mm. externally and internally, because we have been socialized to feel good about that. We're being mm. productive. We're doing the things that we're supposed to do. Uh, you know, like we're 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 participating in life in the way that I've we've been conditioned to participate, and so it's immediately rewarding. And addictive, because you're just like, Mm. cool, like, I'm an amazing person, like, let me go on to the next thing, I'm going to do this thing and, and keep sort of, you know, collecting, so to speak, like those achievements, where, when you go deep, and into the troubled parts of ourselves, it actually does, it's more about acceptance and calm. And so what I mean by that is, you know, as you confront trauma, and as you confront some of these more negative emotions or other emotions that aren't as socially accepted, right? We we don't all just, we, we get very, it's very okay to show up happy and energetic and, you know, in these positive kinds of ways emotionally. But when someone is sad or troubled, it's, you know, it's very hard for people to sit with that for very long. Um, and it can often become uncomfortable and people want to like shift the conversation <laughs> into something else. Um, and so, when we are in those places it's hard to do that with ourselves too like we also want to shift the conversations with ourselves we also want to like you know run away and be like nope that's this is not where i want to sit this is really uncomfortable or really Girl, why <laughs> would i why would i sit
0: with the uncomfortability of healing exactly. when i could just when i could just write about healing and freaking get a book deal
1: <laughs> yes let me tell y'all that i had to sit with this uncomfortability for years mm. before i got mm. to the place where i could write about it it makes sense mm. like mm. in for people to want to you know uh publish my book so before that happened you know I was in like five seven year long journey of really digging deep into that trauma and mm-hmm. the sort of physical responses that I was starting to have so for me a lot of it began because I was having panic attacks it was very mm-hmm. very much like like hard to ignore um mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've actually have really dove into like some other, um, you know, books about just how much we hold in our bodies and mm-hmm. how much, how much, how toxic that can be at an actual physical level, like what it can mm-hmm. create in our bodies. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start going down that line too too soon, but just even like, the, you know, all of these uh long-term illnesses, terminal illnesses that we sometimes mm-hmm. have, you know like there has been research now that is showing that people who have been through certain types of trauma tend to have those certain types of diseases and disorders. Mm. And Mm. so at that time, I didn't know this, you know, I just thought like, well, this is hard to ignore, you know, (laughs) like when it wasn't physical, it was, it was a lot easier to ignore. Mm. I was able to Mm. just kind of keep on plugging away, um, you know, doing all of the things and being just pushing myself. But then once it started showing up physically, it was really hard to ignore. And that's Mm. when I really kind of had to make the decision, or really like my body made the decision that no, it wasn't going to work anymore. Mm. You know, like the, what I was on this sort of treadmill of like success or whatever, you know, where outwardly looks amazing, but innerly, like I just had like such a, um, you know, just, chaos internally Mm. it just wasn't going to work anymore and my body Mm. made that very clear and every time I would try to do too much it would just shut down and Mm. I just couldn't function like I just literally could not function and so Mm. you know that was such a gift now thinking back that my body spoke so loud that it was so hard to ignore that I was Mm. like okay let me let me think about this for a second what's going on why am I having these nightmares why am I having these like you know waking up with like you know, sweaty, just you know, heart palpitations, like wow. racing. What mm-hmm. is going on? What haven't I addressed, or what haven't I done mm-hmm. that you know that that I'm I'm in this place? um You're already then- already already got a PhD. I what I, else? Everything- <laughs> I know? Am I supposed to become what the like UN <laughs> <leader> or something? <laughs> oh,
0: it's funny. Yeah, yeah, that. It is, you know, people, one of the books people have loved to uh, reference over however many years as people become are becoming more aware of like body awareness and what it is, mm-hmm. is, you know, the body keeps score. Yes. And it's a, it's a very, it is a very enlightening thing to see that the body will tell you the truth in the mm-hmm. ways that your mind is not ready for. Yeah, because we don't that's the way defense mechanisms work primarily on an unconscious level. So we have like this really complex, invisible security system protecting our mind from telling our whole selves the truth, because, mm-hmm. hey, I can do anything, dude. I'm free, I got a PhD. <laughs> I'm teaching. I'm publishing like what? You know, I'm yeah. I, I'm I'm doing all, I don't I don't deal with this or I don't have mm-hmm. that or whatever it is. Your mind's not ready to hear that or our minds in our own ways and the body has this humbling way of being like, Oh, you're not angry right now. Why is your chest on fire? You're like, <laughs> that, that thing. And I've been grateful because I had a really unique journey to, to mm-hmm. get to where I am a different path. And a lot of people yeah. who grew up in and around the church, like my first book that came out in May is called the making of a mystic. And the mm-hmm. subtitle is my journey with mushrooms. My life as a pastor mm-hmm. and why it's okay for everyone to relax.
1: So even it. the, su-
0: the subtitle kind of lets you know, I've had a unique thing, but yeah. early on without the guidance coming into this awakening experience I had at 18, I didn't have youth groups. I didn't have pastors. Mm-hmm. I didn't know those things existed. What, but my faith began with this direct experience of spirit. And what my mm-hmm. primary guidance was, as I look back was the aligning of my body and my heart and my mind. Like that was my compass, like trusting mm-hmm. my body. That's what I had. Cause I didn't have another voice to trust in that way. Yes. Cause I didn't have those people around me to guide me to the future. And so sometimes I think compared to a lot of my peers and I'm sure types of folks you've met through yeah. Christians and publishing and all that is like, I grew up kind of like backwards where like a lot of people work really hard and build something. And then are like, am I anxious? Am I worn out? Why am I doing mm. this? Do I want this? Like we start asking those questions, whereas mine sort of began with that and it was a mm. slow growth in the action that the activism the work for me came later you know so yeah the the, the paying attention like that's mm. why i tell people a lot of pastors or religious leaders they're really good at reading the bible but not good at reading their own life
1: mm.
0: you know like we can read yeah. the text of scripture but not the text of the spirit who was writing something unique in and through us and that's a it's like what I said about the inner resources. That's a different skill. It's a different it thing is. to start to do that, you know? Um,
1: yeah. Late yeah, late what, to it, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. What, what do you, you, you know, we, there's the work that we do externally, the, the vocation and the gift. And then there mm-hmm. is, you know, the interior work we are doing. What are, based on your, if you don't mind sharing your own personality as you started doing some of that, the body's telling you the truth now Mm -hmm. in ways that are hard to ignore. What are some of those things when you first start doing that work? What are some of those barriers within? What are some, what are hard parts for you to start doing that work? As opposed to like, I can just get another grade on a paper. I can do something that has an immediate thing. What for you is challenging. So I think that might be true for a, Mm -hmm. a lot of us about doing the deeper work.
1: Yeah, I think for me, what was challenging was, you know, in part because I grew up in a very, um, you know, my parents being immigrants, I had this self imposed pressure that Mm. I had to, you know, give them the world, basically, you know, there's no other way to say it. Like, I just felt like I had to really dig, dig in and be able to support them emotionally, financially. Yeah. So there was a lot of pressure for me to basically self-imposed, really, you know, mm. to to give back to my folks and to my community. And that's really what drove me into just, you know, working myself to the ground. And then what was the hardest was to do nothing. I, mm. I think that was probably the hardest, mm, <laughs> you know, like so I just could not do nothing. I was like, even in my doing nothing, I would find myself doing being busy doing things so cleaning Mm. uh became like a a great way to do nothing (laughs) you know just like randomly uh reorganizing another way to do nothing really badly you're all 20
0: minutes in silence (laughs) face facing the trauma within or i could fold some laundry while the kids are at school
1: (laughs) exactly Uh, no brainer there um yeah so it was just it was really really hard to let myself do nothing and like think nothing. And I think, and I talk about this in the book, part of it was because as soon as I did those parts of me that wanted healing and reconciling Mm. and addressing would start coming up. And I was just like, no, I, I don't, what, like, I didn't know what to do with that. You know, it was so Mm. overwhelming. And Mm. I think one of the things that I've learned in just writing the book is that we don't talk often enough about Yes. It's horrible. No one wants to go to therapy. You're, you know, like there's going to be a lot of messiness and even just addressing trauma in non-therapeutic environments. You know, there's, there's all of it, right? It's just a lot of work, but no one, you don't hear often like about after, like, you know, the depression's going to lift. The Mm -hmm. fogginess is going to lift the like panic attacks are able to get under control and not happen anymore like we just or at least for me like i felt like i don't want to live like that it whenever Mm. i start to address these things it seemed like that's where i was gonna stay Mm. it didn't Mm. i didn't understand that there was this other way to live where it was beyond that where i would those things would be resolved and now there would be space in my mind and my heart and soul to just contemplate other things you know at a Mm -hmm. deeper level and so yeah that, that was really hard for me to do nothing um which I think a lot, a lot, a lot of people
0: can really connect with that. Like I've, I used to think about that. We lived in, my wife and I lived in Costa Mesa for five years, like Mm -hmm. like Newport, Huntington in California. And there's this back bay there. And I used to spend a lot of time in silence over there in my twenties when we lived there. And I remember I was like, just hidden off this cliff, but I could hear people walking above me, but they couldn't see me. And I would think if someone asked me what I was doing right now, My answer would be nothing being I'm not doing (laughs) anything now. I'm being intentional right? There's an intentionality that comes with silence, right? Like the doing nothing, but it's within the nothingness. This is the, this is the, the, the gift of the mystics within the nothingness. You discover everything Mm -hmm. it's in sitting with the pain, not, not fighting it, not rejecting and not repressing it, but actually embracing it and, Mm -hmm. and witnessing it and allowing it mysteriously all of a sudden the power it has over you starts to lose its grip. But I'm like, sometimes the hardest part about, Spending time in silence or being present to whatever's within is just doing nothing. Like, in order for me to say yes to this, nothing, I have to say no to everything else, buying for my attention. And even as a person who's had a practice of silence for a long, long time, I still feel that resistance within me to when I sit down to silence, of like, I could just jump right in and start writing this morning instead of being in silence for a while. Mm-hmm. So that unconscious. Avoidance of those spaces when you look back drives us so much in our decisions, mm-hmm. you know, e- even to produce, even to achieve. You know, it's like, how many sometimes I have a chapter in a book called Feeling Shitty, and I'm like, in there, I'm like, how many pastors' mission campaigns and big things actually was an unconscious way for them to try to achieve their way out of them feeling shitty on a Monday morning, instead of being, instead of being present to what was there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's, that's really real when we have that achiever thing. So yeah, I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that silence. I could fold some laundry. I could, I could do some dishes. (laughs) Um, when I was, When I was uh, in in grad school, my focus at that point, this is a long time ago, was on black and womanist theology. And so when we think about womanist theology, right, it's born out of the black experience of women in the United Mm -hmm. States, right? A very specific location. But womanist theology, womanist thought is not only liberating and healing for black women. It, Mm -hmm. to me, can be a guide for anyone on the journey of Christ, the journey in life towards wholeness and towards healing. Yeah. And in a similar way, how does getting in touch, back to the book now, getting in touch with your inner Chingona provide guidance and hope for everyone, right? It's born Mm. out of this, but it's for everyone, right? That's how I see these, like, how does that work? What hope does it give? Not just for someone who looks like me, you know, someone who's different, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that, um, you know, something that you mentioned just in terms of Black liberation theology and womenist theology, um, right before I, I embarked in writing this book, I also got really deep into Mujerista theology and understanding mm. a lot of the ways that the brown church has existed pre-colonial times in the place where I was raised in Mexico and the in the beautiful ways that were in which... You know, the Virgin Mary appear to like indigenous folks and like things that, you know, as an adult going into uh, white church spaces were kind of, you know, not only ignored, but also like actively thought of as like uh, not true, not biblical, whatever um like I syncretistic
0: really, or even like those types yeah, of things of so like right. other religions like witchcraft like people with the fear <laughs> yeah. of like any, any any expression of spirit in indigenous spaces outside of a colonial farm it's like
1: <gasps> yeah exactly and so I remember you know that really like driving my just desire to really understand even deeper you know some of the things that in, you know, some of the the women in my own history and how they were seen as differently. So one of the people that I talk about in my book is, of you know, the Nahuatl woman that was given to Hernan Cortes as a gift and who has since in Mexico been called la malinche, which is a derogatory term for like a political traitor. Mm. And it's still used in that way now. It's like it's Mm. still uh, very much seen in that way to be called a malinche. That's what it means. And I thought that's so interesting that this woman malintzin has been come to be known as la malinche. But when she was an indigenous woman trying to survive, it was actually pretty amazing that she did, and that we have Mm. like records that she Mm. gave birth to the first quote-unquote hijos de la chingada which is what mexicans were called you know people Mm. from indigenous and spanish roots were called in mexico and where the word chingona comes from Mm. um it was actually pretty beautiful that you know this woman who has been seen as primarily a traitor if you really think about what she had to endure and all of the things that she had to really you know resist maybe even psych you know like psychologically or you know in her community she's a survivor you know she's someone that um became you know i think for other people and and as we you know i think a lot of folks who have recasted sort of her role have become this amazing ancestor that was able to survive and and thrive despite you know um just the killing of her people and indigenous and other indigenous groups at that time. And so, you know, when I think about, when I think about that um, and the ways that maybe this book also talks to people beyond that is that I think we can all find ways of recasting, right. Or retelling stories in our own histories Mm. when it's been seen in a certain way to start sort of seeing it in a very, very different way and understanding that, the way that it's presented to us is not the only way that it can be seen. Mm-hmm. You know, questioning that is important. And that's, that's, I think that's universal. I think, you know, there's, uh, in her case and in a lot of, you know, historical figures' cases, it's often like who had the power to tell that story at that time. And that's how the story got told. And as a lot of people go back and re envision, uh you know, other ways that we can see that same story, it becomes really clear that there's actually so much beauty in, in, in a lot of these stories. And so for me, that has been one of the ways that I've, I've really been able to not just recast her story, but also even the fact that, you know, for so many years, seeing myself as Through an imposter syndrome, for instance, or seeing myself through this lens of like not being good enough or, you know, achieving enough or worthy enough. And then actually starting to to align myself with this history of women who are actually indigenous and Afro-descendant survivors. Like they Mm. survived attempted genocide. They survived Mm. colonialism. And this is my heritage and like, this is something that I ha- I was never, uh, you know, taught. And I don't think we, you, you know, we still don't teach that, sadly, in the U.S. context, mm. some of the histories of different folks. Um, we often see as like this, you know, loser winner. And, you mm. know, this is what happened as a result. But we don't complicate their lives and we don't complicate the meaning that they actually have for people. And I think I had to do that for myself. I had to re-envision it. And I think that's why for me, Chingona became you know, what it became, which is kind of my own re-envisioning of like my own ancestors and the way that they were freaking badass because they survived Mm -hmm. all of that. And and I'm here, (sighs) somehow I've made it, you know? And so there's so much that they accomplished.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think anytime people who have been used to or shaped and have benefited from privilege, have benefited from power, have been a part of like the system is built for people like me. The system is built for people like me to thrive. But I think one of the great gifts of hearing the different tellings of the story, right? There's a story beyond American exceptionalism. There's a story Mm -hmm. beyond manifest destiny, right? There's other ways of telling these stories that are a lot closer to reality, you know? <laughs> and wh- I t- to me, I think one of the great gifts, even when you think about people's own transformation is we know more and more that whether it's, you can look at patriarchy and sexism, you can look at institutionalized white supremacy and Eurocentricity and privilege. But I'm like, those things, yes, in a day to day political economic thing are quote unquote good for white people in terms of status and where you're in resources, but existing in places of privilege and p- privilege and power for that long, and living within the delusion of the stories that are being told that uphold it is actually bad for the humanity of the people mm-hmm. in privilege and power long term because there's just so much lies that hold together those tellings of that stories that it doesn't allow people in power to really see people on the margins and the humanity. Like you need people who are different from you to tell the truth about your existence, to help mm-hmm. you see yourself and the truth of the story with more clarity. And that's the thing about power is you can be so disconnected and detached from the lives of other people. You don't have to hear those stories, you know? So to me, right. people, who have historically been on the edges or been on the margins i'm like those stories are here to liberate you from yourself from the the ivory towers right in the academy you know from the the from the from the geopolitical spaces of suburbs mm-hmm. that were created to be homogenous, to be away from other people. Like they're trying to save you from these spaces that are now allowing you to live in a place that's so not connected to the truth of who we are as a common humanity. You know, to me, these stories always carry the potential to do that for more and more white folks, just to like be as straight up as possible. So. um, Here's a question that I have my own version of this very different you know, but I think a lot of people ha- have experiences like you start to read, you know, you're reading post-colonial writers, you're reading these badass women, you know, you're reading the, about these indigenous stories. And it's, man, when you know, when you're by yourself reading it, you're like, dude, this is like empowering. Like, this is sick. <laughs> you're like, holy, like, you know, you're like, this is amazing. Like if you're a reader, you yeah. that's amazing. Those are amazing moments. And so we think about as a social justice-y, Jesus-y person, like, you know, I saw you write somewhere on Instagram, (laughs) what happens practically and concretely in your life when you're like, your imagination's on fire because of these stories Mm. and the possibilities of liberation and you return and a lot or most, you can choose which one you believe of churches are like business as usual. (laughs) Where is the liberation? Where is the difference? Where is the radical inclusivity or like how has that worked for you? Like you're stoked, you're excited and you return, you're like, damn, but that, those streams of radical liberation get so lost within the larger Mm -hmm. river of a religion that holds up the status quo so often. So how does that movement work for you in terms of like excitement? Like, ugh, like where do we go? And how has that felt for you along the way? Yeah.
1: That's such a good question to reflect on. Um, You know, I've had I've had to really step away from, uh, those kinds of church spaces. Um, I felt that often I was being re like, uh, you know, like what's the word here? Reindoctrinated into something that was not the intent of what Jesus had in mind. You know, I think because when I walk away I see some of the stories of just, you know, subversive activity to work, you know, to just really like break down oppressive systems and being intentional about that. And then when I step into a church, uh, I feel like, wait, um, I feel like I'm actually in an oppressive system right now. You know, (laughs) it's very, I feel like I'm actually having to like really, uh, disconnect again from my body so that I can only think about this through this specific lens, logically, the way this specific person thinks about it. Mm. And that is so hard for me now. And it's so loud when I hear it. It's just like annoying loud, you know, like, I I don't know how else to describe it. It's just like someone screeching. It's just... It just doesn't sit well with my soul anymore. And so
0: if if four out of five Sundays (laughs) and sermons make you angry, then we have to figure out another way forward.
1: (laughs) Yes. And also if four out of five make you angry and you can identify what's making you angry, and have worked through it and given yourself space and been turned the other cheek and came back anyway and you're 2 years in it's time to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, for me that's what it was. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I you know, I did the thing, I turned the cheek, I re-listened, I and it just wasn't it, it just doesn't remind me of something that is, you know, life-giving and that is moving me into changing radically the spaces that i'm in it's more like reminding me that we're recreating this space you know and mm. so so it, dri- it drives me crazy number one <laughs> mm, mm. you know and but it's
0: i ask because it's it's such a it's not an abstract thing it's so real to our oh, day-to-day, yeah. day-to-day lives
1: and visceral I mean? for me mm, <laughs> i mean mm. there was times when i was just like Couldn't even say that word in my household without me like rolling my eyes really hard, (laughs) (laughs) feeling like they were gonna get stuck there. Mm. And by the word, I mean church. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that's what (laughs) I. And so, yeah, and so I had to uh, re envision other ways to really have community with people who were in this journey, in this same spiritual journey of really reimagining or imagining spaces where it was life affirming and where we can be complex and be in between and not feel like we have to tie it up with like a three point sermon and just like kind of, you know, pat ourselves in the back and like send off people, you know, mm-hmm. like it's okay to, for me, I had to really sit with like, it's okay to there not be a resolution each each Sunday or whenever yeah. I want to, you know, dive into spiritual things which is i think actually now more often than on sundays um Mm, mm. you know and and it's okay to let women pastors speak to me and it's okay to queer women queer folks speak to me and just other people that have that that live in those marginalized spaces um speak to me because i find those sort of teachers to be much more attuned to what you know, the type of subversive activity that needs to happen in some of these oppressive systems. And so, Mm. yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, Uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's, it's really hard for me to really categorize myself in these Mm. traditional ways in terms of spirituality without offending, you know, Mm. one or two or three groups, (laughs) Mm. Um, you know, so but yeah, yeah that that's where, where I am. Right.
0: Yeah, that that I think that question. You know, we have these larger, like in terms of systems thinking, making connections, exciting. You know, dismantling, seeing new ways, and you return mm-hmm. to cultural or religious spaces, and you're like, "Damn, this is tough." You know, because, and it's and oftentimes it's not like you can move past the stage of like, I'm just angry. You know, hopefully we can grow. Mm-hmm. Th- like you can have your critiques of anything without having the visceral experience forever of being stuck in your anger. Cause that takes away from our joy, you know, there's right. th- ways to move on from that. But it's not just like, like a, like a rebellious teenager. Who's like, I'm angry. This sucks. It's like, I, in my own, when we talk about mind, heart and body, in my own integrity and alignment, I can't be here. Mm-hmm. Cause you're gonna, I can't do this. And you wouldn't want me either. Yeah. If I'm honest here, it, it doesn't make sense, you know? So that I, I think for, for adults and then the complexity of having kids when it's like, okay, there's this tradition, you know, this, mm-hmm. there's this larger story of life, death and resurrection. I'm still Jesus. D, am still social justice. And people have the, their own versions of that. And you have the practical things about like, but what about Christmas and our kids and the cool (laughs) pageants or whatever, you know, like, because you want your kids to live into, or if, if you do, you want your kids to live into that story, you know, in a more hopeful and a more beautiful and a more liberating, inclusive version of it. But I, I find those questions to be very practical and very important right now for a lot of people. Cause it's not when you're, I'm 37, when you get up and you have some kids, it's not just like, me in my twenties, figuring it out. You know, right. it's like, what am I handing down? Of course we're intentional with our children, but also is there a larger community? Is there a larger space that's also initiating them into this larger cosmic right. story? Um, so with that said, you know, I mentioned it a few times, you know, the jesus social justice and you add body you know, to that before talking about being a researcher and one of your Instagram posts, how does the concrete life of Jesus, this story of life, death, and resurrection now ground you and empower you on your path towards loving and healing and working towards justice.
1: Yeah, I think one of the ways, um, so in chapter five of my book, Living in Aplanta, it's sort of this idea of living in the, in between us, right and being okay with complexity and and not really both feeling like you belong here and there but not really being from here or there you know Mm -hmm. it's not it's not a it's not a chaotic place in that before it used to feel like I'm not I'm neither from here or there like in like many you know um of my sort of um I guess you know people that I really looked up to, mentors, or just people that I, I've really sought out in my own reading and, and understanding. You know, talk about this idea of ya, neither neither being neither from here nor there, but also that not being a bad place where you feel chaotic and like there's too much going on, but rather a place of like you're both in. You're in, in in many different kinds of spaces, and all of those spaces are you, you know. And so, that to me is what living in a planta means. And so, you know, it's it's about for me now when I re envision sort of what Jesus means to me, it's mm. it's this idea that I talk about in terms of being a culture coyote. So, you know, coyotes and what they have represented in the Latino community or in the Latina community, there are these they're the folks that, that help immigrants travel to the, you know, to different lands. So coyotes are the the folks that know the lay of the land and try to, to take you to this, you know, from let's say Mexico into the U S there's a lot of negative you know, things that have come out in the news about coyotes because many of them take advantage of people by taking their money and doing, you know, just being super, um, you know, just working with cartels and, and just ultimately not believing in the sanctity of life and taking advantage of the people that they're supposed to be helping. And so so the, while that's true, you know, one of the things that I really like about the idea of a coyote in terms of, you know, like when I think about a coyote, not just physically, like someone that takes you from one space to another, but but someone who does so in a spiritual way you know, take you from one place to another mm-hmm. um, like Jesus does, you know, like he, I think in many ways there was, there was this new way of seeing life that, that Jesus wanted his contemporaries to understand, you know, and he was in many ways exhibiting this like culture coyote leadership in which he was using his experiences to really talk about that being with the most oppressed, you know, that's who he hung out with and and living in that complexity in between us i never read any sarcasm or any like um meanness into jesus although you know there's a lot of people that like in some of the responses that he gives like (laughs) kind of painted in that light which you know it's hard to know right the tone that Mm -hmm. was meant in some of that but i don't read that into it i i i don't i i i hear more this really empathetic and truly Um, just complex person that lives in so many worlds and is trying to help everyone understand Uh each other. And so in my own, you know, parenting and in the in, in the ways that I now sort of see my own leadership in my family, that is one of the ways that I that I that I really talk about just, you know, faith and or even just you know, life as a way seeking path, it's not a a rival path. It's not somewhere where I know the answers and we're, I'm going to tell you exactly what they are. And these are the people, you know, these are the things that we need to fight against, but it's constantly changing, right? There's, there's so much that's going on and so much might, you know, have, have a shift from one moment to another. And Mm -hmm. so rather than teaching my kids, like, Here's things that you can hold on to that, you know, about this worldview. I'm kind of teaching them more like, here's how people see worldviews. They either see them as a place where they give them answers or as a place that's complex and that is uncomfortable and that keeps you growing. And Mm -hmm. I really want to help my kids understand that way seeking path of my ancestors, Uh including Uh Jesus, because Uh that's what they were about. They were, they weren't about like, here's the right way to live life. And here's the wrong way. Now do that. You know, it was about honoring and acknowledging like, you know, wisdom and learning and, and shared power. And, and I want my kids to be able to see that in Mm -hmm. Jesus and not Mm -hmm. these other things that we've made them out to be, you know, Mm -hmm. including Santa Claus on Christmas or whatever.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Yeah, And even right there when I talked about people in positions of privilege and power hearing stories from places I've mm-hmm. been historically marginalized, even when you hear things out of different native tongues, different languages mm-hmm. already, because that concept that you're describing, which for white people would be pronounced more like coyote if you didn't know exactly <laughs> what <laughs> to, true, to, true. To, to make, to make the connection when you hear about stuff but that which carries you from one space to another, you know, to me, I'm like, the spirit is that which is always calling mm. us forward. You know, mm. it's that which draws us from the threshold of the old into the space of the new. If, when we talked about the healing journey, if you can hold that space long enough in the discomfort to me, spirit will always carry us through to the other side into new life. So even to see the role of Jesus as that which keeps us evolving and carrying us through transitions is already is such a a cool way to mm-hmm. and a helpful and a, and a and a and a beneficial way to even think about you know Jesus calling us all forward and Spirit calling us all mm-hmm. forward in the world. Here's my last. So I'm gonna remind people, Chingona, owning your inner badass for healing and justice. If We look it up on Amazon. Alma Zaragoza Petty. Find that book. Pre-order it. Find her on Instagram and follow her. Is it doc? Is it doc
1: ZP on Instagram? The doc ZP.
0: The doc, the D O C Z P on Instagram to stay. Always a good way to kind of follow along, stay in touch toward the release of a book. So get that book, um, support her continuing work that she does, which is so good. And also receive the gift that she offers through the book itself. And my last question to you is, you know, when you write, there's, 20-year-olds, late 20s, early 30s, whoever it is that's reading and they come away, you're like, I hope from this, when we think about hope, when we think about not just providing the, dis- the vision to dismantle critique and take apart, which is always necessary for clearing the way. That work's all important. It's all part of the same movement. But when you think about hope and imagination beyond that and younger people, whoever it is, are reading that, you're like, I hope they feel this, know this, see this. What is a part of the depth of that for you when people engage with this book specifically?
1: Wow. That's such a good question. I think what I hope is hope, you know, that I hope Mm. that they see hope, you know, that uh, in this, in this way, that's a visionary kind of hope. I think sometimes When you're going through very tough times or just dismantling or just trying to heal, which I hope this is what my book, you know, this is what I'm doing through my book that folks are picking it up um, because it is a self-help, self-care, you know, personal growth kind of book. And my intention with that was that I wanted a story that was relatable for people like Mm. me and I Mm. wanted a story that was, you know, relatable to people who of all all kinds because they can we can all we are all on this you know journey of being and 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 existing and understanding each other and you know what that means and so I really wanted to give folks that were like me this idea that there is a hope in tomorrow right so hope itself that there's different ways that you can re-envision yourself different ways that you can make sense of the scars and the and Mm. the trauma to understand them as like proofs of healing and being able to move forward and just you know resistance and transformation because often scars have just in our in my community have just been a way that has stopped people from being able to really live out their lives and really Mm. you know become the kinds of cultural leaders that we need or mm-hmm. become the kinds of legacy makers that we need. And so mm-hmm. I really want people to start seeing that actually, even their scars and even their their trauma is such an important gift to be able to transform. Because once you do, you realize that there's just so much more capacity for joy and grief and all these emotions to coexist and to be complex within you and to live such a rich life. And I just mm. really want that for people. Mm. And mm. then, in terms of people that are not like me, but that are reading this book, you know, I think that some, you know, something. Girl, wake you up, wake up, homie. <laughs> Yo, where you at? <laughs> where you been? You <laughs> gonna <Chingonas> been here. <laughs> you know, it's more oh, of just like, funny. come on, man, just like read something beside. <laughs> what you're used to just you know and uh going to a different journey of understanding life and i hope that it does create that for folks that it, it gives people an invitation to understand life in a in a different way even though i think it's very much you know a very h- human experience when i talk about it's very it can be generalized to many populations mm, um mm, and i think mm. that that comes through at least that's what mm. I've heard that it comes through mm. and that people such as yourself are able to mm. understand it and, and you mm. know, and kind of gain something from it mm. uh, without being Latina or necessarily, a, a, you know, like the chingonas that I'm talking about, but mm. still having that chingona spirit and being able to understand what that means.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's so funny. My My version of that is like, you know, since 2020, you know, I'm like systemic racism is like the buzzword for like 2020 until now. And <laughs> pe- people don't always push that so far and actually say institutionalized white supremacy, which is a more concrete way of saying that. But for me, Being in grad school so long ago and focusing my work on black and womanist theology, institutionalized white supremacy and reading about mass incarceration back then, I'm like, man, no one gave a damn when I was talking about this. I was talking about institutionalized white supremacy. So, oh, now it's cool. Oh, now white dudes are getting book deals off this. Now, of course black folks were saying that way before me and they were yeah. catching hell and living that way before me. I know that, but that's my own version of like, man, Oh, he, <laughs> he got a book deal for that, man. I was, I was, all I had was awkward ass conversations with people when I brought that up when I was living in orange County. So that's fun. That, that, that was like my <laughs> ongoing thing. I'm like, this is just popular now. I'm like, man, yeah. I was, no one cared when I was saying it. Yeah. Um, but yes, this was so good. Thank you so much for taking the time, even, even for rescheduling when it worked. You know, I'm, I'm glad that, that, we, that we made this happen. So yeah. the book, I'm going to say it one more time, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice. Amazing title. Please go get that pre-order right now. Follow along the journey. And Doc, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. This was great.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for your wonderful questions.
0: Yeah, 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 thanks.